One thing I see in the scriptures that's quite evident that is talked about is this um, change of heart, this, this transformation that needs to take place in the life of every believer where we are born again, born of the Spirit. Um, you know, Jesus said that to Nicodemus when he came, you know, what do I need to do? You need to be born again. And, and it was something that was brand new to him. He, had, he didn't understand, you know, he asked the silly question, well, I climb back into my mother's womb? You know, no, you have to be born of the Spirit. That's a, maybe a topic that I have not heard talked on much growing up in the Restoration. I, I've grown up learning about we're the right church. We have priesthood authority. The Book of Mormon is a true book. And, uh, and I've had good sound doctrine and being taught. But the real life-changing power of the mystery of Jesus Christ in you that it says was hid for, all, for a long, many generations and then came forth after Jesus came, what do you think about the, the being born again? And is this a time for saints to really focus on personal righteousness and um, giving up our will to the will of the Father and not move in a direction of organization or structure? Or, or do you see both working together? Or is one more important than the other? What's your ideas on that? Well, those are all good questions, Mike. You know, Alma and the sons of Mosiah, one— one father was the head of the church. One was the head of the kingdom. And I would assume they were all raised in the truth, and yet they were wayward. Mm-hmm. And Alma, of course, has his experience where he's taught that every nation, kindred, tongue, and people must be born again. So even though being born again, Joseph Smith says, comes by the Spirit of God through ordinances, water and spirit baptism, not everybody has a life-changing experience until they press into it until they have an encounter with Jesus Christ. And and I believe that's requisite with every member of the church, that we've stressed so much about church organization and rightness and wrongness and administrative policies, and, and they all have their part. But what's most important is having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing him as our Lord and Savior, becoming acquainted with the operation of his Spirit, having our lives penetrated so that we view men the way he views them. Mm, view men the way he views them. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not discounting the fact that we have rules and we have governance. He placed in the church helps in governments, and those are requisite for us to become a people of divine destiny. But just because we have something right doesn't mean we're right. We have to live it. We have to experience it. We have to embrace it. And the Holy Spirit has to dominate our lives— it has to, Jesus said, let this mind be in you, which was also in, excuse me, Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That mind, Joseph Smith said, was the Holy Spirit. It was the joint mind and will of the Father and the Son. So in that sense, we can be like him. And that's why the apostle says, when he shall appear, we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is, and we shall know as we are known. And so it's really important, Mike, that not only that we have a right belief, and that we adhere to correct doctrinal principles, but we have to have our lives changed and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit to be useful, to have a personal relationship with him, that he can work with us and cause us to be a leaven to help others build up the kingdom of God on earth. We spent so much time talking about church organization, church structure, what's right, what's wrong, and in reality, Early in the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord really explained to us what his church is. 
whosoever repenteth and cometh unto me, the same is my church. Whosoever teacheth more or less in this is not of me, but is of the devil. That's section 316 of our Doctrine and Covenants. That's a refreshing thing when you think about the fragmentation that exists not only in the Restoration Branch Movement, but in the Restoration Movement in general. And somehow we've got to recapture the genius that was with the church when it first burst forth out of the wilderness in these last days. We've become so imbued by buildings and structure and procedure and policy that we've missed the most important thing, repenting and coming unto Christ, being baptized by one having authority, and being led by his Spirit. And that's really the thing that sets all of us apart as Latter-day Saints. We claim an authoritative priesthood. Every church of the Restoration claims they can trace their priesthood in an unbroken chain mm-hmm. back to the angel. And you know, there's a lot of things in our church, and, and you've heard it said perhaps that but when the church went west, Brigham Young rebaptized everybody and reordained everybody. And that's true. But that was happening in Nauvoo. Joseph Smith was rebaptized. There were four baptisms in Nauvoo, Mike. There was baptism for the remission of sins that we're familiar with, that we practice. There was baptism for the dead, which Joseph was involved in, which the reorganization has not practiced. There was baptism for the restoration of health. Joseph baptized Emma twice in the Mississippi River for her health. There were baptisms in the font, the unfinished temple in Nauvoo for the dead. And there was baptism for the renewing of the covenant. And so all of those have not been a part of the history of the reorganization, but they preceded us in the original church. Can I, let me ask you a question. Just I'm just going to throw this. So those, uh, well... I believe baptism for the dead that Joseph gave that. Um, I never understood quite how we haven't instituted that or how he gave something that wasn't of the Lord. Uh, but are those other sources you're saying, like uh, he baptized Emma, you know, more than once? Are those, uh, you know, LDS sources? Are those valid? Do you really feel those are valid? Uh, like we know that for sure, or is that someone bringing up stuff smack against Joseph? Or <laughs> no, those are valid. And in fact, Joseph the Third commented on it. He said, "I saw baptism for the restoration of health practiced when I was a boy, and I saw it practiced in the early days of the reorganization." He said, "I know no law commanding it." nor do I know any law prohibiting it. But he said, I saw it in both instances, and it was efficacious. And so that's in the Journal of History, our Journal of History. So we do have testimony of this. Okay. I was curious. But it's not something we practice today. Since we're on this, I'm just curious. Um, I want to ask you, um, I'm going to read a couple excerpts from your book, but I want to ask you, King Follett's sermon, have you studied that much? And that's a thing that's come up quite a bit, and people have left the church over. And I know it's it's actually guided a lot of the LDS, the way they practice things. You know, it was a sermon Joseph preached, so they say it came out in the Times and Seasons, which was our church periodical after Joseph was dead, a couple of months after he died. And uh, basically four people recorded this long sermon, which I looked at. It's 11 pages, double-columned, so it's I don't know how many hours it took for him to preach, if he did, but... It was curious that four people were able to write down so distinctly what this sermon said, if they did, in course, do that. What Do you have any opinion on that, or have you studied it at all? I do have an opinion. I, I don't believe that Joseph left as a record of a plurality of gods. Okay. The things that he produced while he was alive 
the scriptures that he gave us don't proffer that kind of concept. The King Follett sermon does suggest that, but it was not uh, published in Joseph's lifetime. There's no way to authenticate that he actually said that. It was four scribes. They wrote it down. It was published after Joseph died. And I, I think that it's questionable because it doesn't align with the things he taught while he was alive that were published under his signature. What do you say about baptism for the dead as far as Joseph giving that as a revelation? that We took that out of our Doctrine and Covenants. Well, the reorganization for a long time um, took the position that it was a local ordinance and that if it were to be practiced, God would give additional direction to it. And about 1970, the church put it in the appendix. And like most appendixes, doctors like to remove those. Right, and right. so <laughs> it, it, it's been removed. It's right. not been practiced. Uh, I have reservations about it. I, I, I don't believe that it's, um, it's something that we should practice. I believe that if there really is something to it, God would reveal that in the future. But I have suspicions that it's, it, I set it down as a, as a mistake. Would you... Uh so then um, if you look at, like, you know, a prophet of God, he gave a revelation, does that unravel the whole story for you? Or what do you say to people, well, how do you trust any revelation he gave? Or how do you trust the, the Book of Mormon? It's easy for me. I just, I've, I just don't doubt that that's the Word of God. But I guess people could say, the, you know, they could say, well, how do you, how does the whole thing unravel, you know? How do you know which one to believe and which not to believe? I may be asking you unfair questions. I'm just picking your brain. <laughs> well, I believe that, that prophets are men. I believe that they have feet of clay. Moses, of course, uh, was not permitted to enter into the promised land. He was able to view it. Mm-hmm. and uh, But because he took credit for the water at Kadesh hitting the rock and and so forth, he lost his opportunity. Uh, I, I believe that men are fallible. Uh, I believe they're prophets when they speak in the name of the Lord, but I also believe that they have made mistakes. We know people in our lifetime that have uh, been overcome by their zealousness to teach or practice them. You know, the early church was under a lot of persecution, a lot of pressure. And I believe it was simply if Joseph had had the inspired manuscript in front of him, I don't believe we would have seen baptism for the dead unfold the way it did because the inspired version says, we without our suffering cannot be made perfect. The King James Version says, we without our dead cannot be made perfect in Hebrews. And so Joseph made a correction, but the book was never printed in his lifetime, and I think that was a shortcoming. Mm-hmm. Paul, when he speaks to those about baptism for the dead, he's talking to those who don't believe in a resurrection. And he says, why are ye then baptized from, for the dead if the dead rise not at all? He really wasn't endorsing baptism for the dead. He was simply posing a question, why do you do this if you don't believe there's a resurrection? Why baptize for the dead? And, of course, Mike, we could even expand it further and say that everybody that's not in Christ is dead. And so we're all dead. We're all baptized as dead. But yeah. I, I really don't think it's something that that the reorganization has practiced. I think there would have to be great revelation to clear up these details. But I, I'm convinced that that we're on the right track of not practicing baptism for the dead. I don't like to dwell on those things too often because I don't want to tear down anyone's faith. Uh, but I think it's wise because it, it should be humbling to us to realize that no man, that, that not all things 
do we understand, even in our very short history that's less than 200 years old, so many things have happened. Um, we just, like you said, depends on who you're born to and what you believe at times. But I think it should be very humbling to us and a great reminder that we don't know all things. And, um, and unless you truly get rid of the pride in your life, you can be deceived at any time. And in many ways, you know, like I say, I could be right now. I don't, I don't know. I just can do the best I can and trust in my savior. But, um, I wanted to read, uh, Patrick, I wanted to read a couple of experts, excerpts from your book. If, is that okay with you? If you'd allow me to do that? Sure. Okay. I highlighted, um, I really appreciated this. I want to read it and then, and tell me, Expound on this. It says, We are interconnected with fellow believers in the Book of Mormon and its message to restore the covenants he made with the house of Israel and gather them to Christ, to his doctrine, and to the lands of their inheritance. Yet you ask the question, Are we? Is this our mission? It says, The saints can continue the same old mantra of who has authority, whose administrative structure is pure, and whose is flawed. Imagine with me for just a moment if the Lord Jesus were to walk among us, inviting each of us to follow him, I believe we would all arise and follow him. And if we did, do you realize all the differences we now have would no longer exist? He said there shall be no disputations among you as there hath hitherto been. We have the opportunity to enrich the soil for the Lord to sow that seed into our lives. And when that kernel sprouts, we will all see eye to eye. What? Tell me what that looks like to you, enriching the soil. I was going to ask you, do you see a place for the JCRB and the remnant and the independent restoration branches and the temple lot and, and then all of these groups we talked about? Everybody that was willing, if we met in one place to worship our Lord, what would that look like to you? Obviously, we, we wouldn't want to serve the sacrament. That would be divisive. We, we wouldn't want to perform any ordinances because that could be divisive. What, what would be the best? Have you thought about that? What would that look like to you? Well, we've experimented with that mm-hmm. in part. We've held the Book of Mormon Symposium for 10 years, and we've had these different ministers or members from these various parts of the Restoration, and they've all come together. We've sung hymns. We've had prayers, we've heard testimony, we've seen the Book of Mormon expounded from a variety of ways, whether it's linguistic or prophetic or historical or doctrinal. We've, we've looked at it in a lot of ways, and we found a lot of common ground, and we've rejoiced. And at the conclusion of a number of these gatherings, we sang the Spirit of God like a fire is burning, and people are touched. They're moved. They realize that this is the path that God wants to point us on. We haven't solved our differences. We still have our unique beliefs, yet we're able to set those down, come together, and realize that we really want to have a friendship with people who share many, many things in common. And in doing so, when you care about somebody, you find ways to walk with them. And the more we walk together, the more the Lord can dissolve those differences those obstacles that are before us. We need divine help. But Latter-day Revelation promises in section 100 uh, regarding the redemption of Zion, he says, the Lord would raise up a man like Moses to lead us out of bondage. 
we're in bondage, Michael. Mm-hmm. The we can say we're the true church, but but we're in bondage. We don't see Zion. We haven't seen its redemption. We're a fractured people, um, and we're losing our young people to the evangelical movement or to the non movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to circle the wagons. We need to stop our contention, and we need to find ways to come together on what we agree on. And there's so much out of the Book of Mormon that we can unite around that the Holy Spirit can come and visit us, open our eyes, cause the scales to fall off, and he can wet us together. That's the miracle of the Latter-day work. We believe God raised uh, Lazarus from the dead. We believe he restored sight to the blind. We believe that Moses was able to part the waters of the Red Sea and they walked on dry ground. We believe that Brother Jared saw the finger of the Lord touch those stones and illumine them. Why don't we believe the Lord can heal the breach in the restoration? But you know, in order for God to answer our prayers, we have our part. The brother of Jared went and got those six, he molted those 16 stones and presented them to the Lord. And the Lord says, what is it that ye that I should do? And he asked the Lord to touch him. And God did. So we met him. So I believe the more we're willing to labor together, the more, op- the more opportunity there is for us to have God intervene and to remove those difficulties that have we've been beset with. So I believe we should be engaged. It doesn't mean that you're unfaithful or you're untrue because you walk with someone as far as you can with them. Um, you know, we... We're so fearful that we're going to be led astray. But if we're really led by his spirit, we're not going to be led astray. Whosoever treasureth up my word shall not be deceived, the inspired version says. Where's our faith? Where's our motivation? Uh, We go to a Baptist, we go to a Methodist, we go to an evangelical, and we say, I'd like to bear my testimony of the Book of Mormon. I'd like to share with you what Jesus Christ has done for me. And we would like them to listen to us, wouldn't we? Mm Mm-hmm but we don't want to talk to other restoration people. You know, I'll give you a real clear example of this. The disciples had nothing to do with the Samaritans. About 720 B.C., Ephraim was peeled off of the land, the northern kingdom, and in their place, others came in. Jesus makes a trip to the woman at the well. They're not Israelites, but she is because she refers to my father Jacob, but she's sown among these Gentiles. The Jews don't have any dealings with the Samaritans. The Samaritans have no dealings with the Jews. But what did Jesus do? He talked to his disciples, and he talked to the Samaritan woman. I believe that God has talked to the Bickertonites. I believe he's talked to the Mormons. I believe he's talked to the Hedrickites. I believe he's talked to the Josephites. The problem is we're not talking to one another. And so I look forward to that day with great anticipation that God is going to manifest himself and the scales are going to fall from off all of our eyes and we're all going to see that we didn't all see everything completely accurately. It doesn't mean that we're false or that we're not his people or that he hasn't led us or hasn't healed our sick or hasn't honored our priesthood. I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying that he's done that in other parts of the restoration just as he has with us, but we don't know it because we don't mingle with them. We don't talk to them. We're not aware of what he's done. But God is bigger than we are, and he's more powerful, and he's more dynamic, and he's more active than we are, and he's moving pieces together so that he can complete his work. I want to be a part of that.
That's a, that's a lot of food for thought, Patrick. Um, let me read this other quote here. It says, we all sing, preach, pray, yearn, and long for Zion. I agree with that. Yet no portion of the restored church has been able to complete this divine task assigned to the saints to gather Israel and build the holy city. In fact, it has now passed out of our hands. Zion will now be redeemed with judgment. That is the land and her converts, the saints, with righteousness. Are we prepared? An awful storm is on its way. How well prepared will we be when it arrives? Prophetic counsel came to the reorganized church through Joseph III many years ago to help the saints approximate the Zionic ideal of blending our lives together. This is from uh, Doctrine and Covenants um, 122, maybe. It says, So far as you can agree... Work together without heat, confusion, or malice. Let nothing separate you from each other and the work whereunto you have been called. And I will be with you by my spirit and presence of power until the end. Amen. Yeah, Doctrine and Covenants 122. Without heat. I like that word. <laughs> That's a pretty a pretty uh, neat word. You know, we've had several solemn assemblies since I've moved to Independence and they get smaller and smaller as the groups get smaller. And um, I wouldn't say that there's been any great fruit that's come from them. Um, what do we need to tweak when we come together to petition the Lord? What are we doing wrong or what do we what do we need to do right? Do you have any – can you narrow it down to one or two things? Or Well, I think that we're all predisposed to believe that we're right and others need to see things the way we do. And I'm not sure that's really the healthiest perspective we certainly believe we've done some things right, and we've had the blessing of the Spirit to confirm that he, he loves us. But, uh, Mike, you have a, a son. Uh, I'm sure you love him even when he does things wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that you bless him even when maybe he isn't considered worthy of that blessing. Because he's your son, you lavish your love and care on him, and you don't want any harm to befall him. And just because God blesses us doesn't mean that we're the only people in his vineyard that he's mm-hmm. blessing. And it doesn't mean that he endorses everything we do just because he heals our sick. Uh, some have faith to be healed. Some have faith to be healed. Um, you know, it may be the only blessing they ever receive. We don't know. But we assume because A and B happen that C must be the answer. And I'm not sure that that's true. We all are so concerned about preserving our turf, mm-hmm. our rightness, that uh, we cut off our nose to spite our face. And I believe that when the Lord says, come together, he simply means for us to reason, to have dialogue. Uh, we don't have dialogue. We don't want anything to do with people that don't look or act or, or think like us. And so we have little camps everywhere. And I don't think that pleases the Lord. I think it's a stench to him. I think he wants us to try to find common ground wherever we are. If you had a son that left the church and uh, became a Buddhist mm-hmm. and you had a family gathering, would you invite him? Mm. Well, sure you would because he's your son. You love him. Uh, but some would say, well, we can't invite him because he's he walked away from the truth. Well, all the more reason to reach out to him. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that we want to win back. And if people feel that we're in error, the best way to reach us is to love us, is to Wrap your arms around him to continue to reach out. 
and yet we're so fearful that we might be polluted. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, an expression in my book of a, of a dish. There's a technique that the Chinese have that when a dish is broken, they glue it back together with gold, and it shows the cracks. In our Western world, we typically throw it away and buy a new one. And we can believe our part of the restoration is more pure than any other part. But the simple fact is, unless we're glued back together with the other parts, the dish cannot hold the contents for which it was created. And so by having this technique where they glue it back together with gold, it shows where the fractures have been. And just like Jesus is beautiful because with his stripes we're healed. We see the scars in Jesus and they remind us that he did that for us. And so the fracturing of the church has hurt families. It's hurt people. It's, it's been very painful to go through, Mike. But we've got to repair the breach and realize that we do have that gold. And that gold is our golden Bible. It's the Book of Mormon and the power of his spirit to, to make that stick back together. So that's where our emphasis should be. How do we heal those breaches, whether they're among restoration branches the JCRB, the Remnant Church, the Elders Conference, the Pastors of Zion, the Hedrickites, the Bickertonites, the Mormons, all parts of the Restoration in time need to be welded back together. And we should do it in our families, we should do it in our branches, we should do it in everywhere. And so that model isn't anything that we can walk away from if we're truly committed to Jesus Christ because that's what he's committed to. He came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to repair the damage. And if we're his disciples and we stand in that breach, that's what we should do. We, um, Corey and I have talked quite a bit about uh, the scriptures and the prophecy. We call it the rest of the story, something we don't hear a lot about in the church because we, we were so focused on Zion and building Zion, you know, and a temple and independence and... Um, you know, the, the Book of Mormon talks about there'll become a time when the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, you know, due to their wickedness, and that the gospel would go back to the house of Israel. You know, the Book of Mormon <laughs> would be there to convince them of the eternal, that Jesus was the eternal God, that he's the Christ, that he's God, and that that they are his people. Um, what do you what do you say uh, as far as the church goes? You know, we are the Gentiles, from the sense of, it says the Book of Mormon would come by way of the Gentile, come forth by way of the Gentile, even though we believe Joseph has a lineage, you know, a certain lineage, but we are a Gentile nation. Do you think that the time is up for the restoration and that the, the best we can do is to, to seek the Lord and be righteous and that Israel, the house of Israel, will come and do the work? Or how do you see that playing together? Well, I see that there's a unique gift given to the birthright holder, which was Joseph. And he, of course, had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Mm -hmm. They were the thousands of Manasseh and the tens of thousands of Ephraim. And they were to push the tribes of Israel to the ends of the earth, as with the horns of unicorns, not with a mythological horse with a horn in his head, but a ream bull. And those horns are those two tribes. So I believe the church, Ephraim, has a responsibility. And where we have failed as a people is we... No part of the restoration, whether it's the Mormons, the Bickertonites, the Reorganites, the Hedrickites, all of us, and we've all attempted. And we've had some success, but 
no measurable success among the Native American descendants of the Book of Mormon. And I believe that's one of the great events yet to unfold among us as a people. I believe that the book was written to them, and it will tingle in their ears, cause their hearts to rejoice, and they will ask the way to Zion. And so God is going to gather his people. I believe the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, and I believe we're living in that generation that Jesus spoke of in Luke that will not pass away until all that he had spoken is fulfilled, and that includes his return. Mm -hmm. And so we're late in the scenario, and the fracturing of the church has got to be fixed in order to take the gospel to the Lamanites so that together we can gather the rest of the tribes of Israel and we can put on the wedding garments and be ready for the return of our Lord. If you, what would you say to the average restorationist that, uh, you know, they've, like myself, I've moved here, you know, I grew up with this dream of Zion and I moved to the, the center place from Ohio, my family did, and we see the church, you know, maybe even our younger generation, the church is split and the, all they know is independent branches and I wonder about Zion and why hasn't it happened? And, you know, we're, we're so small now when we go to church. What do you say to the average believer in that situation? You know, where is their hope today? Well, the hope is where it's always been, Mike, that the, the reorganization which you and I come out of, and that's where our, it's where our lineage is, our heritage is, the reorganization was wonderful. It, it reset the work. Uh, the Lord sent us a prophet. We regathered the saints and eventually moved back to the center place. But what the reorganization has never done, it lost its first love. It hasn't taken the gospel, the fullness of the gospel, and invited people to Christ, to his doctrine, and to gather. In section 108, the elders were told to go into the world and teach them of a judgment to come, that Babylon will fall and they should gather to Zion. I was in Tahiti last year, and I, I met some wonderful people there. The church is nearly dead in the Tahitian islands. Um, the Book of Mormon was translated into Tahitian when Eddie Butterworth was there, but we couldn't find a single copy on the entire island. Wow. There's one in the, the Communion of Christ archives, but we couldn't find one on the island. They used the LDS version of the Book of Mormon in French and in Tahitian there. And we visited a village called Okafor, and it was a leper colony. And we met an older lady. She was about 80 years old, and she's a little lady. And we, we visited with her, and she said when she was a child, Israel Smith came to Tahiti. And other ministers had, had gone to this community, as he did, and they would reach out and shake hands with a cane. They would leave food there for people. They would give them money, but they wouldn't touch them. Israel Smith came, and he hugged them, he ate with them, and all the children in that community were healed. And she held up her hands, and she said, I have no scars. I was healed. And yet, there's not a whisper of the gospel of Jesus Christ from our vantage point, from the, 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 the view of the reorganization. Uh, there's not even a branch of the church there. there it's the, the work has been decimated. And yet we have this rich testimony because we preached the gospel, we, we shared the truth with them, but we didn't invite them to Zion. We left them there. 
And we've done that all over the United States. We've had congregations in Michigan and Florida and, and Ohio and Iowa and different places, California, and the church has died. And mm. a f- few people have gathered independence, and there are few outlying restoration branches, but most are small, most are older, and they're dying. Um, because we didn't preach the gathering, we became vulnerable to the attacks of the world, and we began to doubt our beliefs, and we began believing our doubts, and you know the scenario that happened in the reorganized church and how it morphed into the community of Christ and how the emphasis wasn't on the fullness of the gospel. And as a result, the church is in a very difficult situation today. But help is on the way. And there's other parts of the restoration that God is also marshalling so that he can bring us to the forefront, sew us together, and use us as his army to forge the gospel, gather his people, and build a holy city. Well, we... uh... We've gone long enough now. We might as well continue on just for a little bit longer. We'll just make this a two-parter. So, uh, do you? How do you see Israel coming? Do you see Israel uh, coming to uh, receive the Book of Mormon, the House of Israel, and and uh, be restored to those covenants and come to accept Jesus as their Lord by and by? I mean, if if, if all things are going to take place, as you said in Luke, that's got to be coming, right? That's something we've got to look for. Sure, and and I think that we might have a misnomer on who Israel is. That little piece of real estate in the Middle East that's called Israel is really not Israel, that's Judah. Mm -hmm. And Israel was sifted among all nations. Uh, Latter-day Revelation told the elders they were given the power, section 58, to lay the foundation of Zion. And he talked about it being a wine on the leaves, well-refined, into which all nations would be invited, firstly the rich, the wise, the learned, and the noble nations. He says, then comes the day of my power, and the halt, the poor, the lame, and the blind nations. I believe you're going to see the gospel percolate among the poor nations of the earth and gather out his people. Remember, Israel was sifted among all nations, right? and they're out there, and I believe that that God is adding to the church and all of the restoration groups, the Mormon church, the Bickertonites, the Hedrickites, the Josephites, all the parts of the reorganization that have fractured, we're all doing missionary work and we're having success in the third world. And I believe God is, the gospel is going forth independently and he's going to gather his people. He's going to cast up a highway and prepare a way for them to come to Zion. These people in the third world can't get a visa. They can't move to independence. They can't move to America. But God's going to cast up a highway and prepare a way for them, and they're going to come to Zion singing songs of everlasting joy. This is an event that's going to make a difference. The things, the tensions, the the issues that we face in America today, the coronavirus is simply an indication of what the Lord told the church in Section 5 of the Doctrine and Covenants that a desolating scourge would be poured out upon this people from time to time until they repent and embrace the fullness of the gospel. That hasn't happened. And so whether it was SARS or MERS or H1N1 or the coronavirus, these are going to continue to come and increase until the earth is empty, the scriptures say. And out of this malay, God is going to gather his people and we'll be the only people, those who respond, that will be independent of every creature beneath the celestial kingdom. 
God's work will go forward, Michael. The question is, will we be a part of it? And I believe the work is bigger than any of us have imagined. We're too narrow in looking at everything through the lens of the JCRB or the Elders Conference or the RLDS Church or the Mormon Church. God has set things in motion to gather his people. It's a worldwide gathering to the land of America, to the holy city. And I believe we have a part to play in it, a significant part, but it's based upon our willingness to respond, to cleanse our hearts and purify our hands and be a people of divine destiny that he can use to forge a holy city. Yeah, with with the purpose of the Book of Mormon and... um that's why I see if, if the, the house of Israel and um, all of the house of Israel is convinced that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God, then the world's going to look different because I, we're not talking to millions, but possibly billions of those people. They're spread throughout the entire world. If they come wherever they are and God knows them, what a change upon the face of the land that will be if those people come to know Jesus as their Savior. That's what I look forward to. I don't know what our place will be as the church, as the restoration. Um, I think we focus too much on the church and not enough on Jesus. I think we've left our first love in a lot of ways and have uh, become as the Pharisees, my honest opinion. The, we've created our own mosaic law in some ways. You know, this is what makes you righteous, this, this baptism, this authority, and this and that and this and that. But we've lost our first love, and that's to know Jesus to know him. And so I, that's where my hope lies. But also I, I believe the restoration message. I just, I just don't know what part I'll see myself being played, but I, but God's prophecies will go forth. The house of Israel will come and respond and accept him as Christ. And that's, that's going to be um, a no brainer when that happens in the world. I mean, you know, prophecies being fulfilled and it is, you know, well, we certainly believe that, that we're a part of the puzzle mm-hmm. and we believe that priesthood has been restored and the ability to perform the ordinances and and wash men in the waters of regeneration and bestow the gift of the Holy Ghost. So that isn't going to change, but the work's going to broaden. It's going to be bigger than we have imagined. And God is at at work in all of these things. Elbert A. Smith gave a prophecy at the Kirtland Temple in 1917. He said, there are many forces at work in the world that you see not, and the world doesn't see them at all. So there are things, there are emotions, there are events that are taking place, and God is going to use those to forge his work and complete it. You know, if we believe we're at the time of the end, if we believe that we're in that dispensation of the fullness of times, that the times of the Gentiles have been fulfilled, we're going to see God is going to bend the heavens and shake the earth to bring about his eternal purposes. And I want to be a part of that. I think that we've just been awful narrow, Mike, in mm-hmm. how we view this whole thing. And it doesn't mean that we're not the church. I believe we are the church, but I just don't believe we're all of the church. Mm-hmm. Remember the definition early in the Doctrine and Covenants, whosoever repenteth and cometh unto me the same as my church. You know, if I asked you where the fullness of the gospel is, you could say it's in the Book of Mormon. Right. Well, there are many people taking the fullness of the gospel around the world. The Mormon church, for instance, has translated that record into nearly 130 languages. Mm -hmm. I believe God is going to use that to get people's attention, that he can invite them home, and they can be part of this great Latter-day work that's about to unfold. So we need to think bigger. We need to anticipate that things we're going to have help. 
I stood in their visitor center not too long ago and just looked at the table, uh, and that was just part of them, of all of the Book of Mormons in all of the different languages. And I think it was well over 130 by now, but it was amazing. It was amazing the just to see that and know that, that, that there is a group of people that have been doing that, and to think that God's not going to use that would, would just be silly. Of course he'll use that for his good, that people can read his word and find out about, about Jesus. Um. Well, Patrick, I I could call you a brother, and we'll call you a brother. I have appreciated you being here. Um, this has been a very interesting conversation. I hope people find it fruitful. I wanted to um, this morning. I read at the very end of your book. Um, you know, there's a lot of spiritual experiences people have. We saw all kinds of spiritual experiences in the last few years. You know, with a new movement that we know about with records and things, and people have uh, you know. You have to take things with a grain of salt sometimes and wonder, is that of the Lord or not? I believe these these dreams that I read were are of the Lord because they speak such truth about where we're at today. And I wanted maybe just read one of them, and people can get your book and read the rest. Would that be okay? Sure. All right. This is from—so tell me Barbara Jordison. I know her name, and she does a lot of teaching. Uh, and I, who is she related to? Or, or? Her mother is Jan Jordison. Okay. Uh, she— uh, um, Works in a law office here in town. She's just a very active Latter-day Saint. That's, uh-huh. uh, she she works in the Joint Conference of Branches. Okay. Um, but she's, uh, I think she came from Iowa, and her family moved down here. And she's just a, a, a very wide-open Latter-day Saint that's willing to, to work with whoever's willing to, to work with her. Okay. I, I've heard the name, and I know she's teaches classes maybe, or is one of those that... Um, I'm not sure yeah. she teaches okay. classes, but she's, uh, she's active. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let me read this this dream. Um, it says it happened in 2013. She received three separate dreams, uh, awakening after each one. And she says, as I have never before received dreams in this manner and seldom recalled a dream with such clarity, the next morning I wrote them down. I'm just going to read one. A small brown box, faded and worn from handling, and broken at one corner, was shown to me. It was a size that could fit in the palm of the hand. I was made to know that the factions of the Restoration had done this. Inside was a glorious gem that the Lord had given to the Restoration, sizable, with a distinct cut, and displayed on a radiant white setting. Instead of spending energy on sharing the beauty of the gem— the restoration had become caught up in haggling over the packaging and presentation of it, so much so that the small box in which it was originally presented had become overly worn. These actions had diminished the opportunity for the precious stone's beauty and radiance to be seen. I then heard the scripture read, which says, All tables are full of vomit and filthiness, so that there is no place clean. I was given to know that if the restoration would focus on the gem and cease all squabbling over the box, the Lord would allow them to continue to present the full radiance of the gem. While I was later asked who was meant by the restoration, my understanding was that it meant heirs to the restored gospel and that there is enough filthiness throughout that none of us are standing in the clear light that we could be. We would be better served looking to our own righteousness. I like the last dream, but um, but I'll save that. They can um, 
people can read that. They, I will say that at one point she comes to the Lord and people were complaining about the other restoration groups. And it says the Lord told them to lay it down. And he, he shared no interest in hearing what they were saying. And they still raised objections to one another. And the Lord fearsomely, forcefully, and slowly, pausing after each word, said, not one word. That to me is powerful because that shows our attitude and how he feels. If that, if you believe that's a dream from the Lord, I do. I believe that's experience from the Lord because it bears truth to my soul. So, you know, Mike, I might say something about the book. Um, every chapter has a analogy mm-hmm. or uh, a little story that that I've composed, and then I wrap that with testimony from different parts of the restoration, some from ours, some from others. And it's a it's a real fine devotional, uh, as well as a book you can sit down and read straight through, but you can you can read the chapters are short. And it's something that I hope would inspire people if they would take time to read it. Uh, we all believe that that God speaks today. We all believe that he can heal our sick. What we haven't realized is that He's doing that in ways and in places that we just hadn't considered before. And it gives us pause to realize that he's bigger than we are and the work is bigger than we have imagined. I like the the precious gem. The Book of Mormon isn't the Book of Mormon because it was written by or edited by Mormon. It's the Book of Mormon because Mormon, whose father's name was Mormon, nevertheless says he was named after the waters of Mormon. And it was at the waters of Mormon that God restored the covenant. So the Book of Mormon is a book of the restoration of the covenant. And that's the message of the restoration, to restore men to a knowledge of Jesus Christ and the promises he made with our fathers, ultimately realized in Zion's redemption. That's the Latter-day theme. That's where our interest should be, not on hangling over the packaging, Mm -hmm. but on getting that message out. Amen. To convince the Jew and the Gentile, everybody, that Jesus is the Christ. That's, uh, I don't want to be among those at the end that come and show the Lord everything I've done, and he says, you never knew me. To know him is eternal life, and it's it's the only thing that matters. And so during this time, Patrick, I always encourage our listeners, take time and strive to know the Lord. Remember what you said, you know, can we remember that if you were born a German or a Brit or whatever, that's the, that's the side you'd be fighting on. And we have to ask ourselves, if I was born Latter-day Saint, would I be a, a Mormon? Would I be a Becker tonight? Or We're blessed to be born where we are and, uh, and to have the truth of the Book of Mormon. And uh, gosh, fullness of the gospel. Thank you for coming. Any last words? Or We'll put a link for your book in our show notes so people can order it. Um, I've enjoyed it. Uh, look forward to reading it some more. Well, thank you, Michael. I've enjoyed having this dialogue with you, too, and I hope your listeners find some value and some support in it that they might be encouraged. Yeah, it's it's good to talk about these things. Thank you for being transparent and, um, and just putting out there your beliefs. I appreciate it. Thank you. Until next time, God bless.